Let's, uh, I'm going to read our scripture uh, today uh, once myself, then I'll invite you to, to join with me. Maybe some of you have heard it before. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. This is John 3.16. Would you, would you say it along with me? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Lord God, we thank you for this scripture. Lord, it's familiar to us, but we pray that we'd help, you'd help us to understand it anew and afresh today. Lord, we pray that you would, you would give us this belief, this, this faith in you, God, uh, this thing that you want for us, this gift that you want to give us. Lord, we pray that we would understand it and, and receive it and live into it. Lord, may we know your kingdom. May we know your eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. So maybe some of you, after last week, we looked at Matthew chapter 25, and it's a scene of the final judgment in which uh, Jesus comes back and actually asks, asks as a judge, it's separating people from each other, saying, I know you, or I didn't know you, and kind of this dividing line based on, does Jesus know us, and he knows us based on, did we love him by loving other people? And I think that after that particular scripture and some of these other scriptures that talk about the cost of the kingdom, selling all that we have, you know, this idea of this buying the treasure in the field or making this U-turn with our life, after some of these scriptures that we've been studying, which have all been from the Gospel of Matthew, by the way, for all these, all these 10 scriptures previously, have been walking through the Gospel of Matthew, but now we pivot to John. This is our first week looking at John in this series. And so after what we've been studying, and after last week, I think some of you might be looking at John 3.16 and thinking, oh, thank God. Now we're getting back to the grace part, right? Uh, I was confused last week when Jesus was kind of describing the judgment, but now we get back to this more familiar passage, and I'm reminded of grace as a free a free gift. And something that I want to try to make the case to you today is it's all grace. Uh, it's all a gift. Uh, the, 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 the gospel of John 3.16 is the same gospel as these 10 uh, weeks that we've had in the gospel of Matthew. Uh, all of it is a gift. All of it is a grace. There's different metaphors, different ways of, of pointing towards the same thing, describing it and giving it Meaning. I want to share with you this that, um, well, this essential question. Okay, we've looked at several scriptures. Uh, one of them last week or was this, this kind of determining factor. Did you love the least of these? And Jesus articulates it as a, as a key in terms of kingdom entry. We look at today, and it's John 3.16. The key is like belief in Jesus. We're going to look at another scripture in the future that looks at a new birth as the key to the kingdom. And, and, so, and so what is it, we might be asking, what is this grace thing? Is it, is it a gift or is it something that we 
earn by our actions. And I, I just want to say off the top, right off the bat, it's a gift. A hundred percent grace, our salvation is a gift. But the gift is bigger and better than some of you think. The gift that Jesus wants to give you is bigger and better than some of you even know. Secondly, the gift of salvation is not a reward for belief, but a result of a relationship, right? It's not like, oh, you did a good thing by believing, congratulations, and now here's your prize. It's not this sort of transactional thing. It is the natural result of a relationship that we have. I want to give you sort of a hypothetical example. Let's imagine, for example, that you have fallen over the edge of a cliff, okay? And you amazingly, this is the, you know, amazingly you grab on by your fingertips, okay? We've all thought about this moment because it's in every like Hollywood movie ever, basically, right? And you're like, help me, is somebody up there? And of course, somebody comes, right? And they see you and they're like, wow. And they reach down their hand and they say, I'll pull you up. Okay, now in that classic scenario that we've all seen on TV, we've all thought about, now imagine that you're there on the cliff's edge and you say, okay, I believe that you will pull me up. Are you up? You say, okay, I trust that you are strong, but you don't let go. Are you up? No, at some point, you grab the hand, right? It happens in all these movies. You grab the hand, right? Usually like this, okay? And then they pull you up, okay? Did you earn your way up? My goodness, no. They, they pulled you up. They pulled you up. But there is some kind of grasping of the hand. And when we speak about discipleship, we speak about belief, I just want to try to articulate and make very clear what it means to grasp the hand of Jesus and let him pull you up and not to just be sort of blindly saying a few words and not grasping the hand. What does it mean to grasp the hand of Jesus? To illustrate this, I want to use, uh, I, saw, I saw a sermon by uh, John Ortberg one time teaching about discipleship for many years before he even came to the Bay Area many years ago. And he used just kind of these simple words to kind of just help illustrate a point about kind of what this faith stuff is all about. And he wrote uh, these words. And I just kind of want to borrow them. So this first word is... Please uh, forgive me for my, uh, my handwriting here. Hopefully you can all follow with me. Todd says I write too slow. Okay. <laughs> Stranger, okay? Second word here is admirer. We also have follower. Okay. Now, how many of you watch the Winter Olympics? Anybody? Okay, some of us? Okay. My favorite sport that I watched this year was curling. <laughs> it was fantastic. Okay? Anybody here? Anybody here? 
watch curling uh, this season? Okay, some of you. Anybody here really love it? Seriously? No? Okay, how many people did not love it? Did, how many people here either are unfamiliar with curling or you've seen it and you just don't love it? Raise your hand. Okay, you are strangers. Okay, you are a stranger to curling. But I got interested in it. I read some articles about the rules. I watched a YouTube video explaining the strategy. I watched like uh, ongoing was following a, a, the Swedish team through the thing. I, I, was, I was very interested. Are, are there any others here that are fans? Us, right? Because we were watching a few. Oh, thank you, Brian. Okay, so we are admirers of curling. Okay, is there anybody here that is currently training to be a curler? Really? I don't think so, Hannah. Anybody here that is, that is actively training and learning how to do the sweeping motion and learning how to perfectly just kind of push the stone is the correct term for it. Anybody? Okay. Our, our curlers must be with our online audience. So you guys probably, your training is too intense right now. And so you guys are focused at home watching from the ice rink. Uh, you are followers. Okay. And when John Ortberg first kind of did this, he, he did this reflection, uh, understanding it uh, based on Michael Phelps after some many years ago, after one of the many Olympics uh, in which he won many gold medals. I think he, he won something like 270 medals over 100 Olympics or something like that, okay? But Michael Phelps was amazing, right? Such an amazing swimmer. How many of you have never heard of Michael Phelps or you just don't care about him? Okay, thank you. Okay, you are strangers to Michael Phelps. How many of you remember kind of every four years watching him swim in the pool and thinking, this is cool, amazing. How many of you? Okay, you are admirers of Michael Phelps. But somewhere, somewhere out there, a kid was watching Michael Phelps dominate in the pool. And the next day, he got up at like 5 a.m. and hit the pool and he started training. Or she started training. And, and, uh, and weightlifting and changing the diet and, and finding a coach and, and, and studying Michael Phelps' uh, diet and exercise routine and mimicking that so that they could possibly become the next Michael Phelps in the Olympic swimming pool. That kid, wherever they are, is a follower of Michael Phelps. Do we have any here? Okay, maybe they're online as well. Okay. <laughs> Now, if you did a poll in our community or you did a poll kind of in the United States or in the world in general and you asked people, how do you feel about Jesus? Do you admire Jesus? You would actually get quite a lot of people that would say, yeah, I, I admire Jesus, right? Right? A lot of great things. He said, he said some good things. You know, he did some nice things. I admire Jesus. You would have some people that say, oh, you know, I don't, I don't feel great. I don't, I, don't, I don't know Jesus. I haven't heard of him or I don't like him. But, but you have quite a large number of people that would say, I'm an admirer of Jesus. But you pull that same number of people and you say, are you a disciple of Jesus? What do they say? Well, a lot less of them will say, yeah, 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 I'm a disciple. 
quite a lot of them said, well, I wouldn't go that far. Right? I'm not a disciple. I'm not a follower of Jesus, but I do admire him. You see what I'm saying, right? There are strangers, there's admirers or fans, and there's followers, which we kind of use often the word disciple. And as, where did I put my marker? Okay. And as uh, Orberg was explaining that, he adds in a fourth category that we as a society and uh, popular in the church have tended to add to this sort of one of our own invention, which is user. Now we might not uh, use that language. We might say something like Christian. Okay. And by that, what we mean as we appropriate that term is, is we say, oh, well, I'm like, like a regular base level Christian, not a disciple, right? I'm not one of them, right? We, this is a utilitarian approach to Jesus, okay? I use Jesus for his salvation services, but I don't like the rest of his products, okay? <laughs> I like using on my phone the free version of the apps, okay? You look at my phone, you see tons and tons of apps. Almost all of them are the free version. But how often do I pay the $2.99 to get the full product? Almost never, which is frustrating. All the engineers in the room, I know that your job is to get me to buy the full, you know, but, but no, like I like using the free version of the app, and that's how some people approach Jesus, right? I'm a Jesus subscriber. I think I have that Jesus app thing that gets me into heaven. I think I have the base model, right? We misappropriate the word Christian into this category as though that's what it means. I'm a Christian, not a disciple or a follower. A user has a smaller version of the Bible, a user tends to just stay in a couple of verses, right? A user likes Psalm 23 and John 3.16, but does not read the Sermon on the Mount. A user stays away from the harder quotes of Jesus, talk about repentance or life change, like that first week. Talk about the world being changed upside down like the second week, our heart being reshaped, Jesus being uh, the Lord of our life, uh, in breaking into our world, uh, growing the deep roots that sustain a, a Christ-filled life. Uh, they, 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 they skip over the treasure in the field, any passages about judgment. They skip over the call to love people in need, the call to tithe, the call to share our faith the call to give our time and service, the call to love our enemies. And they say, oh, I don't do that version of Christianity. I'm a Christian, but not a disciple. I use the free version of the Jesus app, not the full subscription, okay? But the thing that we need to understand is that user is not a category in the Bible. And this is a misappropriation of the term Christian. The word Christian actually only applies, it only appears three times in the entire New Testament. You might have thought, 
The Bible's about Christianity. It's about Christians, but the, the word Christian only appears three times, and mostly it's used as a derogatory word for disciples. Oh, those Christians, those followers of Jesus, right? And so that's actually not where the word Christian goes. The word Christian actually appears down here with disciple. This is where the Christian is. And so you see often in all of these scriptures that we've looked at over the course of this uh, series, there's often these three groups of people, okay? There's the Pharisees and the Sadducees. These are like, kind of like the teachers of the law, and they keep appearing over and over again as strangers, right? They are not into Jesus. The Pharisees and Sadducees are here. Then there's the crowds. It often just refers to the crowds, a great group of people who've seen the miracles and they are the admirers of Jesus. But there's a small group of people. There's the, they're called the disciples. And you can include people like Mary and Martha, you know, and uh, others I- into that. But there's a small group of people that are kind of more the inner circle. And these are the disciples. And so you have strangers, admirers, and disciples or followers uh, in the gospel stories. Now, the thing that I want to tell you is that our church is about making disciples. The marching orders for the church at the end of the Gospel of Matthew is to go out into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing the name of the, name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you, even unto the end of the age. I will be with you until the end of the age, he says, right? So we're about making disciples, and we see this kind of reflected. Uh, we, we have in our church these vision mountains that we're, that we're seeking to kind of improve on and, and march towards in these, in these years. And in, in, the, uh, in the first one is about, is about prayer. Our first mountain is that we want to be a church consumed, guided, and changed by prayer. And so uh, I led you, my first series I designed uh, really for you was this, this prayer series in which we invested in that. And the second one is about discipleship. Our second mountain is this. We want to be a church experiencing and sharing Christ-centered transformation. Christ-centered transformation. This is discipleship. We don't just believe a set of facts. We are being transformed by Christ into the likeness of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And that, the, that quest for discipleship and life transformation is what this whole entire series is about. It's what the gospel of the kingdom accomplishes in us. And within that context, we have this amazing verse of John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. This gospel of the kingdom is open to all doesn't matter what you've done or what you've become or, or, or what, your, what your lineage is or, or how far you are now or how you've rebelled or how you've alienated people or how you've sinned. You can be forgiven by the grace of God and you can come in to this saving relationship with Jesus Christ in which you become a disciple, a follower. Now, John 3.16 is a scripture that's given to us in context. 
And the context that John 3.16 flows out of is a conversation with someone named Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a Pharisee. Now, the Pharisees were Jewish religious teachers that uh, really emphasized righteousness and being set apart, not associating with anything unclean or impure or wrong or foreign, and, uh, and took, really tried to obey the law. They were strangers to Jesus. They, they didn't recognize Jesus. They didn't even admire Jesus. They were the strangers. This is the Pharisees are strangers. But Nicodemus is secretly an admirer of Jesus, okay? He doesn't want people to find out that he, he kind of thinks Jesus is cool, right? Because it would cost him, he, it would cost him in his own reputation. Now, the scripture that we see to, uh, today that we're gonna look at is John 3, when Nicodemus comes to him at night, but I'll tell you, we also learned some things about Nicodemus uh, just a few chapters later in John 7, when actually the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they, they send the people kind of rule, they send uh, soldiers to go arrest Jesus, and the soldiers come back and say, we, we, we couldn't do it. <laughs> we couldn't arrest Jesus. He's, he's cool. Like, he, uh, he says stuff we've never heard before, so we decided not to arrest him. And they're being, they're being shamed by the Pharisees. How, how dare you? Like, are you, are you becoming followers of him too, Right? And, and, the, and Pharisees in that moment, they say, did any of us, Pharisees and teachers of the law, did any of us believe in him? Pause, crickets. And then they say, no, none of us. Crickets, Nicodemus is there, does not identify himself as a follower, but just kind of timidly and noncommittally says, hey, hey, I, I think we should give him a fair trial. And then they turn on him and they're like, what are you? Are you from Galilee? Are you a follower of Jesus? Like, hey, 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 you know, right? So he's, he's someone who kind of has this admiration and you know, wants to see Jesus treated well. You know, I, I see that something is good about you, but I'm not gonna risk my position. Now, what do we call someone who is um, publicly not gonna associate with something, but privately engaged, right? We call that person? No, no, we're almost there. We're gonna get to that. They're a chicken, <laughs> okay? They're a coward, right? It's like, I kind of I want to believe this thing, but I'm not going to let anyone know it. They're a coward. The reverse of that would be a hypocrite. The reverse of that would be they have uh, publicly identified themselves with something. They are publicly saying they believe something, but privately, they're living a completely different life. That would be a hypocrite, right? Now, how many of you uh, want to be a coward? How many of you want to be a hypocrite? No votes. How many of you want to have an integrated life in which these things, what you say and what you live are, are in sync? Anybody? Me too. Me too. That's what we want, right? This is going to be part of discipleship. Our, our public uh, statements and persona match, our private uh, convictions. Uh, Nicodemus, he's not there yet. He's still in this kind of cowardly phase. There may be some redemption for him at the end of the story. We actually see he's one of the people who anoints Jesus or goes to anoint Jesus' body. So there may be some turn later. But let's, let's read it. I'm going to look at a, a John 3, verse 1. Now... There was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. 
And he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, which means teacher, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs that you are doing if God were not with him. Okay, we know he's a Pharisee. We actually learn later he's, he's actually a leader. He's a, he's, a, he's a leader among the Pharisees. But he has come to see the miracles of Jesus. And he's like, that's pretty cool. I kind of think it's a sign that you're from God. And so, but why is he coming at night? And why is he coming alone? Right? He's like, I'm just kind of going to reach out, but I'm going to just kind of maintain public distance from you, Okay. But he gives Jesus an opening. And so what does someone who's in this cowardly state, who's like, I, you know, uh, this, this state, what does Jesus say to him? And this is what Jesus says. Verse three. Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. No one sees the kingdom unless they are born again. That's why our symbol here is this baby. And it's so fitting that we have a baptism today, unless they are born again. Another number of translations render that, unless they are born from above. That, that Greek word is often translated as, as from above. It's this spiritual birth. It doesn't come out of nowhere. It's a direct reflection of the affirmation that Nicodemus says to Jesus. I can tell based on the miracles that you are from God. And Jesus is telling him, no one's going to go see the kingdom of God unless you are also born from above, from God. Unless you have a spiritual birth and proceed from God, you can't go to God. So what does this mean to be born again? And how does it integrate with everything else we've talked about? How does it integrate with this life of discipleship? How does it integrate with John 3.16, which is going to flow out of this scripture of, of, of belief, which leads to eternal life? What does it mean to be born again? Well, Nicodemus is wondering the same thing. He thinks it's a pretty weird thing for Jesus to say. So in verse 4, he says, ha! I'm adding the ha, okay? Ha! How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked, surely they cannot enter again the second time into their mother's womb to be born. <laughs> okay, now if last week's scripture left you like, oh my gosh, I need to run around and I need to do some things because Jesus wants me to love the least of these. Well, you're certainly not going to be able to leave today with a to-do list. How are you going to engineer your own rebirth? That's why Nicodemus is a little confused, right? Think about how passive is that image to be born. How many of you have ever bragged to somebody, hey, <laughs> I, I, I was born, right? I, I crawled out of there all on my own, right? I achieved birth. Now, we don't, we don't do that. Surely don't do it in front of your mother because <laughs> you didn't do anything. All you did was just ah, you know, sit there in your sack and wiggle, right? And your mother did all the work to give you the gift of birth. Right? He's like, ah, well, ah give, me, give me a to-do. No, no, no. You need to be reborn. Verse five, Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, 
but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at me saying you must be born again. So no, no, no. If we're gonna have this deeply spiritual life, if we're gonna go be able to be and see with our eyes the kingdom of God, we have to have this spiritual birth. What does that mean? See if we can draw some lessons from the birth that we know. First, birth is a gift that we receive, not a feat that we achieve. Let me say that again. Birth is a gift that we receive, not a feat that we achieve, right? None of you earned your birth. (laughs) Same thing with our spiritual life. Given to us. It's, it's this grace, this gift that we receive that we're born again. Secondly, our birth is the, just the beginning of a great adventure, and that we call that adventure life, right? And the same thing with our spiritual rebirth. It's the beginning of, of this great new adventure. It's not the be all, end all. It's, it's the beginning. It's the rejuvenation, the regeneration. It's, it's the beginning of our great adventure with God. And then third, this. Birth imparts traits of parents, right? I look like who I look like because of the DNA of my parents. I have my parents to thank for my pale skin that gets sunburned so easy. I even know which side of the family it comes from. But I won't rat on my dad at the moment. (laughs) I know, based on my family Uh, medical history, certain maybe health risks that I have or don't have as much. I have certain mannerisms and facial expressions that that come from both my birth and also my nurture. I have certain strengths and weaknesses built into me because of my birth, and so do you. And And for many of us, as we were growing up, people said to us things like, hey, you know what? You look more and more like your father or your mother every day. You are looking more and more like the people that gave you their DNA. Well, the same is true with this new birth, this being born again, this being born from above, this grace that comes to us. When the Spirit comes and lives in us and remakes us, we begin to take on the qualities of our heavenly father. Our hard hearts are reshaped into the warm, soft, generous, caring hearts that we receive reflected in our scripture last week when Jesus says, I know you. You you, you loved me when I was sick by caring for me. I I had a need and you met it. I was in prison. You visited me. And they're like, when when did we do that? Oh, you did it for the least of these. So I reckon it unto me. Well, it's it's not about a task. It's running around. I need to go and solve all the problems of the world. It's like it's being reshaped into being the kind of people who care about other people more than they care about their stuff. We, We begin to grow into the nature of our spiritual parent as we care for those around us. And people might say, you know what? You're looking more and more like your heavenly father every day. We start to make choices we weren't able to make before as we learn to live into that power of the spirit in us. 
rather than our own fleshly power. Our new birth makes us holy in the eyes of God, washed clean by the blood of Jesus so that we can meet with God, whether it's in prayer or in the perfection of his future kingdom. And our new birth imparts to us a new life. Not just this kind of earthly, fleshly life, but the life of the Father, which is eternal, which cannot be conquered by death. And therefore, we actually believe that our eternal life starts now, starts at the moment of our new birth. Eternity starts today or the moment of the new birth and continues on with God forever. Of course, it's going to be a new way in the resurrection and manifest, but that eternal life begins. The bond that is built between Jesus Christ and someone who comes and experiences that new birth is so strong that death cannot conquer it as they live out the qualities of their heavenly father. So I want you to have a good understanding of of what saving faith is. What are we talking about when we're talking about saving faith? Saving faith is not what people sometimes try to reduce it to, which is just kind of this minimalistic, what's the minimum number of things I got to say that I believe to get a ticket to heaven, that eternal pleasure factory, right? No, saving faith is so much bigger and better than that. To know your heavenly father, to be washed clean by the blood of Jesus, to become a disciple, to be reborn again with the spirit, changing us and shaping us and giving us the life of God, which is forever. Now here's what happens with Nicodemus. I'll just read one more verse and you can complete the rest of it on your own in your life groups. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. How can this be? Nicodemus leaves that day not a disciple. Nicodemus does not choose at that point to become a follower. Maybe he does later, and I think it's in chapter 19 we see, but, but not that day and not the next day. He remains in the case of stranger who kind of secretly has some admiration And Jesus is saying, okay, you can go further. I want to give you, I want to give you the new birth. I want to give you the bigger and the greater gift. And so I want to just encourage you today, don't make the same mistake as Nicodemus. Don't leave here a stranger or an admirer. Leave here reborn as a follower and a disciple. Again, I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And if it's your prayer, you make it your own. Lord God, we thank you. God, we just thank you that so much that no matter what mistakes we've made in our life, no matter, no matter what sin, no matter what evil thing that we have done, that you love us and that you want to forgive us and make us clean, oh God. And we accept that, God. And we ask you to be our savior. We also ask you to be our Lord, oh God. Give us this new birth that we can't achieve on our own. Give us this new rebirth 
being born again, born from above, God. And give us your spirit to empower us, God, to be your disciples. And we just pray that you'd shape us, oh God. We pray that we'd reflect you, our heavenly father, more and more each day. In Jesus' sacred name we pray, amen. Uh, Thank you for worshiping with us today. Uh, if any of you are new here, you're just kind of uh, uh, new among us, we want to we get to know you and we want to help you get to know us. And so we want to remind you that we have the Taste and See, which is uh, an experience. Uh, right over here, you can uh, gather over there and I'll take you on a tour of the church and we'll hang out, get to know each other. We've got kind of food stashed strategically around the campus. It'll just be kind of a fun adventure to have together and uh, you're invited to, to come along with us. If any of you, the prayer that I led, if any of you maybe have prayed that for the first time and you, you, you just want to kind of understand what it means, we'd love to meet with you. You can reach out to me. We, we have people in our church ready to, to do something, what we call to disciple, which means uh, they, as a disciple, uh, work with you to help you understand what it means to be a disciple. And you can meet one-on-one with them and, and we can help you kind of arrange that or get into a life group with a group of people and, and just kind of begin that journey of, of understanding what does it mean to live that out. So let us know. You can reach out to, to email me or church, church office and we'll connect you uh, with some opportunity to help you grow as a disciple. So now I want to send you out with a blessing we call a benediction and just may you receive this, this blessing. May you, my brothers and sisters in Christ, may you know the joy of the love of God and the free grace of Jesus Christ who loved you so much, even in your sin, that he gave his life for you, that you might be with him forever. May you experience the power of the Holy Spirit giving you new birth and reshaping you. And may you experience the joy of knowing your Father in heaven and looking more and more like him every day. God bless you. Amen.